Good morning, everybody. Welcome to La Jolla Community Church. It's time to worship the Lord. So if you are able, please stand to your feet and let's lift our voices in song.
your love is devoted like a ring of solid gold like a vow that is tested like the covenant of old your love is enduring through the winter rain and beyond the horizon with mercy for today faithful you have been and faithful you will be you pledge yourself to me and it's why i sing your praise will ever be on my lips ever be on my lips your praise will ever be on my lips ever be on my lips your praise will ever be on my lips ever be on my lips your praise will ever be on my lips ever be on my lips you father be awesome your kindness makes us whole you shoulder our weakness and your strength For you will have your bride. 
Good morning, everyone. Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you with hearts full of gratitude. With, we are so incredibly thankful for all that you have done for us and for all the blessings you've bestowed down upon us. Lord, we are grateful for your love, which surrounds us and fills our hearts with joy. And we are thankful for your grace and mercy, which guide our souls through even the toughest times. We acknowledge your presence in our daily life and, and hope and the strength you provide us each and every day. Lord, we thank you. Heavenly Father, so often our day-to-day routine seems so busy, and we tend to switch into autopilot, accomplishing tasks, running errands, and taking care of the things that appear so big at the time, but in your kingdom, compared to your overall plan and your bountiful love, are actually minuscule. Lord, we don't diminish the importance of those smaller things, but we are here today amongst our brothers and sisters in you to pause, to open our hearts, be mindful in you, and reflect on how great your love is. Lord, this is the time to power up in your unyielding love such that we might bring your Holy Spirit to the masses as we continue throughout the week. And dear God, allow the presence of your power to be apparent through our own times of weakness, such that others recognize it is you who is at work on our behalf. And Lord, now that we are well within the 40 days of Lent, we ask your, we ask your help in reminding us of all the great things you've given us. Christ, Son of God, for our sake you fasted for 40 days and allowed yourself to be tempted. Protect us so that we may not be led astray by temptation. And since man does not live by bread alone, nourish our souls with the heavenly food of your word. We ask that you give us strength when we are weak, love when we feel forsaken, courage when we are afraid, and wisdom when we feel foolish. Lord, as it is written in Psalm 51, create in me a clean heart, O Lord, and renew a right spirit unto me. Cast me not away from thy presence, O Lord, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and renew a right spirit unto me. Thank you for your incredible sacrifice, dear Lord, so that we might have freedom and life. It is in your holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hi, Community Church. It's good to see you all. I'm Connie Evans, and I'm the director of children's ministry here, and they are shorter than me, most of them. (laughs) Yeah, sketchy, huh? Yeah, Um, but I am here to welcome you all, and I get to do the announcements. So first, when you all came in, there you got a brochure, and on there is a Connect card, so if this is your first time here, uh, please fill that out so we can get connected with you. Um, On the other side, there is a prayer request, and thank you, Jesus, that he wants to hear from us. So if there's anything on your heart, please.
please fill that prayer request out, and we'll, we'll be praying for you as a church all week long. Then you can take your tithing, the prayer request, and the Connect card and put it in the box on, uh, over there when you leave. Not yet. Uh, and I'm, I'm up here to give the exciting news that we have our Easter block party coming up next Saturday, March 25th from 2 to 4. So it's going to be super fun, just like it was last year. We have a petting zoo and pony rides. I don't think you guys can be on them, but the kids can. We have face painters. We have bouncy houses, um, handing out snacks, and a whole bunch of fun. It is to support the Ladle Foundation. And Nicole and Steve Skinner, who are members here, volunteer there. And what they said they need are gently used blankets and men's and women's clothes, mostly men's. Um, so that's kind of your ticket in if you want to go through your closet. Uh, or also, I will have a box out here if anybody wants to bring anything next week, too. So um, should be tons of fun. Last year, um, it, we had so much clothes that Steve had to go get his big truck and bring it back. So I'm really hoping that we're that successful again. If anyone wants to volunteer at all, uh, setting up in the morning or cleaning up afterwards or just come and help, I have a sign-up sheet out there or just show up. Um, so thank you. I, I just love the fact that we support our community. Um, we're an awesome church. You guys rock. So thank you. Connie, thank you for all you do. Uh, Connie survived, I, I mean, enjoyed uh, a weekend at Forest Home last weekend with a bunch of girls, and uh, if you've never been to camp, you're really missing out. I mean, a, I mean, a camp experience is worth six months of Sunday school. Not Connie's version of Sunday school, but normally, right? Um, if you ever have a, a chance to go on any kind of retreat, uh, do it. Men's retreat, women's retreat, uh, conference somewhere. As, as much uh, of, of a hassle and an inconvenience as to rearrange your schedule to do that, uh, do it. Uh, also, I was talking to somebody this week who said that they, against all their intuitive feelings about how useful it would be, they uh, went away to a monastery for two days. And, and the guy who was telling me about his friend who did this, um, he'd, he'd encouraged this guy to do this, and the way he put it was, I made him do that thing you made me do. I said, oh, yeah, I'm so, you know, I'm so hurt and offended I made you do that. He goes, he's laughing about it because he said, I thought, what a waste of two days to go away to a monastery and think and be quiet and pray and reflect. And um, This is how crazy our world is. You know, every, every one of us in this room is exceptional. In two ways. You know, you know it's got to be two ways, right? It can't just be all positive. Uh, we tend to believe that we're exceptional because there's nobody's life like mine, which really is true. That's basically truth. Each one of us in this room is an unrepeatable miracle of God's handiwork. That's, that's defensible. That's provable just by God's word. You are a unique, unrepeatable miracle of God's handiwork. In that sense, you are exceptional and just like everybody else. Uh, the other part of us, uh, of our exceptionality, is that we feel like we're the one exception. You know, all that stuff makes sense for other people, not me. Some people hear from God, I don't. Some people understand the Bible and then read it, I don't. Some people pray and find a, a great um, encouragement from the Holy Spirit, I don't. Some people ask for guidance and God gives it to them, I don't, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands 
Every one of us in this room has had both experiences of that version of being acceptable. The one that says, oh, look, Lord, I, ac- I accept the fact that you've made me this unique, unrepeatable miracle of your handiwork. Why do I feel so out of it if that's the case? Well, we live in a fallen world. And so what is the message of Jesus? He is speaking uh, to that, that, that basic identity that we have about being somehow exceptional. We're exceptional and we divide those two descriptions of being exceptional with a but. I'm a unique, unrepeatable miracle of God's handiwork, but I don't get all the rest of it. Uh, somebody else is meditating and feeling like they're having a, an ecstatic spiritual experience. I'm just feeling bored, antsy, and thinking I have stuff to do. Or, you know, I could make the whole list go. Uh, so the message of Jesus is that he comes to tell us things that we wouldn't know otherwise. How to live in that, that um, what we make into a bifurcated approach to life. How do you live in the midst of that exceptional identity that we have that is this, but really it's more like that. And so this is where we're going in, uh, in this uh, message series on the message of Jesus. And we're taking big chunks, and, and, and not trying to reduce those big chunks, but just trying to identify what's going on here as, as a marker. If you've ever done any mountaineering or hiking, uh, you find cairns, little piles of stones. It's a Welsh word. And so anywhere you go in Great Britain, you'll see cairns. Uh, they were upgraded into signs. The problem is if you're traveling in, in the backcountry, in the wilderness, you can't, you know, there's no little signs. There's just little piles of rocks. Um, <clears throat> and, and so uh, they're supposed to give you an idea of where you're, where you're going. And so what we see in these sections are, they're like Karen's. They're saying, this is the path. And so we're saying, hey, here's the big idea in terms of where we're going here. In, in Matthew's Gospel, there's an introduction, starting with, we said this last week, a genealogy. Here's where Jesus comes from. Very weird for us to start anything with a genealogy. You kind of lose us after so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat. Uh, you know, wake me up when we get to the snack or something, you know, recess. But there's that genealogy. Then there's the story of Jesus' birth. And then there's there's these stories about Jesus facing Satan. And then there's this section of him talking to people. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. And and that launches us really into this Sermon on the Mission. Jesus' mission and ours. And the way the writer uh, Matthew, former uh, tax guy, I just hate to say that in public. There's a tax guy in the Bible. But he's showing us a better way to order our accounts, right? So Matthew's telling us how Jesus' message will help us order our accounts. But he takes a model, because he's already said to us at the beginning of, of Matthew that uh, this is like um, uh, Moses. This is like David. This is like Abraham. He's, he's mentioned these you know, uh, heroes of the faith that all the Jews were saying the Messiah, when the Messiah comes, had to have, has to have something continuous with Abraham uh, and then Moses and then David. And so you see these stories lining that up. Now Jesus is speaking, and he's into this section after the introduction in the Sermon on the Mount with five sections. Matthew has sort of carved out these five sections. We don't notice them. When we read it, we just go, okay, stories, more parables, more miracles, okay. It just kind of flows. But if you look at it structurally, there's these five sections. And so there's uh, the uh, 8 to 10, 8, 9, and 10. Sermon on the Mount ends in chapter 7, 8, 9, and 10. We, talk, we looked at that section last week. This week we're going to look at this section 11, 12, 13. Now we can't look at three chapters, uh, but we can get a sense of what's going on in these chapters. Next week, 14 to 20, and then that puts us into uh, uh, the uh, straight shot into Holy Week 
and Easter. So the message of Jesus comes out of a context. That's why it's so important to understand the Old Testament. The Old Testament is not the irrelevant testament. Uh, The Old Testament was Jesus' Bible. If we don't understand the Old Testament, we'll never really understand the New. We will be just skating on the surface uh, of life, of life in Christ. We won't have the depth of the knowledge. We won't make the, be able to connect the dots. You know, one of the great things about getting older is, um, oh gosh. <laughs> Give me a second here. I'll come up with something. <laughs> it's that you have this long, long memory of experiences. And you'll find yourself talking to younger people than you. And they'll be looking quizzically at you like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And you're saying, oh, you know, um, Eisenhower. The expressway, what, which, what, which Eisenhower are you? No, you know, the president. There was a president with a name like that? Uh-huh, yeah. yeah. And then you're talking about uh, bands. Who wouldn't have a favorite Beatle? I don't know. I don't know. That concept doesn't even make sense to me. You wouldn't have a favorite Beatle. Uh, and, then, and then the question is, who are the Beatles? You know, can you call an exterminator? They can get rid of them, you know? And, and so you, you got these kinds of things where um, I saw a little, a little deal, um, uh, I was a a PBS thing about a group called The Wrecking Crew. Now, what comes to your mind when you hear The Wrecking Crew? If you're a musical person, you go, oh my gosh, there's a whole era of amazing studio musicians in LA who created every song you heard in the 60s. The same, they didn't put their names on albums because you'd see the same people. And whether it was a really incredible R&B song or the Monkees, I mean, you know, or the Beach Boys, uh, you, it doesn't matter. Any, any album that was made in L.A. was made by the Wrecking Crew. Now, you're, if, you're, if you've lived a while, you go, oh, my gosh, I really appreciate that. And so the neat thing about having a context in the Bible is it gives us so, much, so many ways to connect with the message of God. So that the message of Jesus just goes 3D, highlighted, and, and it's powerful. So if, if you're one of those people saying, I'm exceptional because I just don't get anything out of the Bible, uh, wait till you take the time and make the time to start to put it together. You'll say, I can't get enough of this stuff. Everywhere I go, every book I see, I read, every movie I see, every song I hear, I hear something that reminds me of Scripture. Why? Because Scripture, the content of Scripture, shapes pretty much any cultural artifact we have that's creative, that has to do with media, that has to do with meaning, the names of places, uh, the origins of so many things, right? So the point being that the message of Jesus is meant to help us understand how profound this world is that we live in and how profoundly broken it is, but how profoundly blessed it is because he's in it. And so our exceptionality doesn't disqualify us. I'm the one who doesn't get it or I'm the one who doesn't need it because I'm so awesome. Our exceptionality says you were made by a God who wants you to know him beyond your limits, beyond your false sense of self. Okay, so that's where we are in this. And so we're in the section Matthew 11, 12, 13. Uh, We're going to look at five verses out of chapter 11. They sort of pull together this section that would be like, again, um, Matthew's structure here is like the five books of Moses. Uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, um, Numbers. And they, these aren't exactly like trying to be those books. They're saying, just like Moses had five books, the Torah, the, the core of the Old Testament. These five sections are the core of Jesus' message. We'll come back, like I said, after Easter and look at the details in there, but right now we're going to look at one little part. And so we see that Jesus has seen a pattern in the responses to his teaching and his miracles so far. <clears throat> Chapter 10 culminated with him having prepared and then sent out his disciples. Now Jesus is going to continue teaching, preaching, telling parables, doing miracles. 
But meanwhile, the disciples are out doing uh, their thing, and they're all going to get together again and compare notes, and eventually they're going to leave where they are now in the northern part of Israel, Galilee, and they're going to go uh, what we would say is south but up. It's south on the, on the map, but it's up in terms of elevation to Jerusalem. And there's going to be a little tension uh, we're going to see in the next couple of weeks when they're having such a profound ministry and there's so many great dangers politically for them if they go to Jerusalem that when Jesus says, we're, not, we're on our way, and it says, in Luke's gospel says this, he turned his face toward Jerusalem. And this is going to be many days of walking through the country to get there. And Peter says, don't do it. It's dangerous. It's difficult. And of course, that's, that's the famous thing where you know, Jesus has said, who do you, who do you say I am? Well, you're, you're the Lord. You're the Messiah. Then, then Satan, get out of my way. If, you, if that's who you think I am and you're telling me not to go fulfill my mission, please step aside. So we're in the midst of that. We're getting close to that and we're at a turning point. But here in Matthew, Jesus is seeing the pattern and responses to his teaching and miracles. And so he pauses to do two things. To praise God for what he is seeing and to continue to prepare his disciples <clears throat> for what they will be doing. Um, when I say disciples, I don't mean just the 12. You know, there's dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of disciples around Jesus right now, men and women, which is maybe a surprise to you. And if you want to have a real eye-opening experience, turn at some point this week to uh, Romans chapter 16. And it's just simply Paul writing a letter to the believers in Rome. And the list of names... And the number of women and men in, those, in that list is remarkable. And all the things that they have been doing to make his ministry possible. So this is a movement of God's spirit. And Jesus has gathered these disciples and he will release them, of course, into ministry after his resurrection. So he says, <clears throat> verse 25 to 26, At that time Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. Uh, part of what's going on here in the beginning of chapter 11, <clears throat> now he's been getting pushback from Pharisees, we'll look at that in a moment, uh, these religious leaders, the, the, the people who were, everybody, everybody looked at them and say, is this right, is this wrong, is this okay? Uh, he's also responding to John the Baptist who, is, who has been imprisoned for speaking out, speaking truth to authority. He's imprisoned, and in that isolation and seeing Jesus you know, doing what he's doing, but in a way that maybe John didn't quite expect him to do, he sends a messenger saying, are you, are you, are you the one really? You're, you're the one, right? And so John in his isolation, is not, it's not clear to him maybe that is this really who I think he is? The one I baptized, the dove came out of heaven, the voice said, this is my son. You know, you think, what are you not getting about this? But so Jesus is saying, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, and that phrase right there, praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that is evocative of the way people pray in Israel. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech Haolam. Baruch atah Adonai. Praise be to you, O Lord. Um, um, Lord, a king of the universe. That's a standard opening to prayer. All the, you go through Passover, all the prayers start out with Baruch atah Adonai. Eloheinu Melech, so Lord, Adonai, and another one, another version, Elohenu, Melech, king of the universe. And then the rest of the prayer continues. So Jesus does this. 
uh, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. So is this a critique of intellectual scrutiny? Is Jesus anti-intellectual? Uh, is he saying, don't have an inquiring, an inquiring mind, just accept it. Here, kid, you want a piece of candy? Get in the car. Well, obviously not. Obviously not. Uh, this is not Jesus' message. Remember when Jesus was 12 years old, his parents were heading back to Galilee from Jerusalem, and they realized, oh my gosh, where's Jesus? By this time he's 12, so he's old enough to be running around with his friends, knows what's up, knows how to be part of the caravan, knows that we're going, and they can't find him. And they go back to Jerusalem looking, and of course they find him in the temple, interacting with the smartest guys in the country, having conversations, a 12-year-old, engaging with the wisest people, processing the meaning of Scripture, and they're shocked and they're offended. They go, why, were you, why, why did you do this? Where did you expect to find me? Where people are thinking deeply about life and God's presence in it. So no, it's not anti-intellectual. It's not, they don't ask questions. Uh, if we want your opinion, we'll give it to you. Little children um, goes both ways in our culture, and probably in any culture. Little children, you think, oh my gosh. Uh, we just had a five-year-old and an almost two-year-old in our home destroying our home for five days in a row, 24-7. I don't know if they slept, took a break. Maybe it was a tag team thing. You, you, you create terror, I'll take a break, you, I'll come back. And these, were the, these were little devastators. Forget the cute kid. They, are, they, they pull you in. They're so cute, so polite. So sweet and endearing, you think, oh, this is going to be an awesome week. And next thing you know, you're tied up, the house is on fire. <laughs> They're on, on your computer taking all the money out of your account. They're putting it offshore somewhere. And they just look at you like, you believe me? <laughs> this is so great. And, and uh, oh my gosh. Little children, uh, what comes to mind? The preciousness of little children uh, or the capacity for mischief and total chaos? So we have now one that's just turned five, and he's all sweetness and light. A year, uh, six months ago, he was like, seriously, can we just box him up and pull him out when, when he's ready, when he's been cured, you know, of this? And, and now his sweet little brother, who is everybody's, you know, just a thank you for being so sweet, is now going, I saw what he did. I think I'm going to try that on for a while. And so you go, oh, my gosh, uh, what is this? <clears throat> little children here is a reference to wonder, the wonder of being a child. You know, the, the core phase task of childhood is wonder. I mean, to, to oversimplify it, there's, there's a core phase requirement, task, to be mastered and embraced in each phase of life. And let's just general, just take three general phases, childhood, uh, adolescence, which is a Western construct, a modern construct, but then adulthood. And childhood is all about wonder. Adolescence and young adulthood is all about meaning and uh, aff- reaffirmation. Do I have what it takes? Can I contribute? Can I do stuff? And of course, adulthood is, is about purpose. What's the, what's the meaning and purpose of my life? But really, if we're fully developed people, we don't let go of wonder. We, we bring it with us throughout life. You meet an adult who's lost touch with wonder, oh my gosh, painful. Uh, they're either super critical or self-destructive. And in their criticism, they want to destroy everything around them because they're frustrated. But when you have wonder, and there's a sense of affirmation. Um, and then there's a deep sense of purpose. That's powerful. So what's going on here? 
Um, it's, it's a reference to wonder and pondering and discovering and connecting and trusting. <clears throat> we took um, our five-year-old took um, uh, Friday off and went out to um, uh, East County, got a visa, got cleared, got out there to Hamul, <clears throat> and um, um, uh, some fr- a friend had some property out there, and we got miles on a dirt bike. And uh, it was just so much fun. And as soon as he got on that thing, it was like he was born on it. He was just having a great time all over the place. So the wonder and discovery, oh my gosh, I can do stuff. This is so fun. Do you remember that? you remember that? I remember sitting there just playing around with my shoelaces, and all of a sudden I had a bow, and I'm like, oh, how did I do that? And I ran out to my mom, mom, I tied my shoe, you know. I think my finger was still stuck in it, so I was kind of like running like this, you know. But, but how exciting, the wonder of childhood, right? That's what Jesus is talking about. Not the gullibility and naivete and the stuff, maybe you say, well, you're limited as a child. This is the wonder, the trust. You know what it's like to be putting a kid to bed after the 50th, 50th glass of water and all that stuff, just having those little conversations. So this is what Jesus is talking about. And it's childlike versus childish. See, we've all got childishness down. We have all refined childishness to a high and fine art. We can all be childish. Whining, moaning, wanting our way, having tantrums. There's nothing worse than seeing that in a 60-year-old man or woman. You know, It's bad enough when they're two or four. But we need to hold on to a childlike wonder throughout life. And we need a discerning heart, not a protective shell. See, the person who's lost sense of wonder and wondering about God, wondering about life, asking the big questions, they start to get a hard shell. Why? Because they've been hurt. They've been deceived. They've been let down. And we all create this hard shell. Or as they say about the Grinch, our heart is several sizes too small, right? And that, that classic movie uh, of youth, uh, Breakfast Club, you know, at one point the kid's in detention, one of, one of the girls says, you know, I don't want to grow up and get older because when you get older, your heart dies. She was dealing with the cynicism that she saw in her own life and in the adults around her. We need a discerning heart and mind. This is what Jesus is saying. Not a protective shell. Which one describes you right now? You might have a very sincere, deep faith. Are you really walking around as a cynical person with a protective shell? This is who the Pharisees were. Can't dispute their knowledge. But these are the ones that Jesus was talking about. If these, when it says wise and learned, you've, keeping, you've hidden these things from the wise and learned. It's the wise and learned. It's not authentically wise and learned. These are people who have lost their wonder and now they're just authorities. So many people could see the authority in Jesus' teaching and healing, and they received it. We saw this in Matthew 7 on the Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not as their teachers of the law, who were authoritarian. When you hear a person speak with authority or you're around a person of authority, they draw you into this larger view of you in the world. An authoritarian person wants to make you small and fit into a small space that they can control. We see others responding as consumers and critics of religious goods and services. You've maybe heard me say that phrase before, because as I started to think about my experience as a pastor, I just noticed that lots of people, all of us, are comfortable being consumers, the American way, and critics of religious goods and services. We don't enter into worship, we, we critique worship. How was this? How was that? Did it go short, long? You know. This is what we see in... in <clears throat> 
in um, the verses preceding the passage we're in, uh, Jesus began to denounce the towns in which most of his miracles had been performed because they did not repent. They're all coming out to go, hey, another, another great show from Jesus. I'm not going to repent. I'm just here to see what he does. He's amazing. Really, what are you going to do about it? Well, nothing. I'm going to have lunch. Oh, the whole idea was to repent and turn toward him and toward the kingdom. And then finally you see the Pharisees who resented Jesus' power, and in their spiritual pride they rebuked him. Uh, In chapter 12, following this passage, you see two examples of that. I'll read them to you. We don't have slides for these. Uh, One case, Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. And looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus, the Pharisees asked him, it's on a Sabbath, that's why they're in the synagogue, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Now it's a kind of a trick question, it's a bogus question, because the law already said if, a, if an ox falls in a ditch, you can get it out. If a woman's having a baby, you can deliver the baby. So there's, there were clearly exceptions, obviously humanitarian, practical exceptions to uh, the Sabbath. And even the, the way the Sabbath laws are, 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 are stated are very general. We have the, the, the accumulation, the accretion of more and more details and laws. It's like the bane of administrative law. There's the law of the land, but then there's administrative law. And you go, where do these rules come from? Somebody in an office that nobody knows about came up with all these rules. They get to enforce them. Make my life miserable. Let's go back to the law as it is and then wisely interpret it. Well, so the Pharisees were not about that. Because <clears throat> that law wasn't enough. The one, the one that God gave us doesn't cover enough territory. Let's get really specific and detailed. So Jesus is, is, is being asked this question, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He said to them, <clears throat> again invoking the exception, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, yes, it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Notice he flips it. To heal, because healing is an act of work. He's saying it's not an act of work, it's an act of compassion. Therefore, it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched that out, and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill him. That's coming in chapter 12. Also in chapter 12, it says, They brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him, so that he could both talk and see. All the people were astonished and said, could this be the son of David? One of the indicators of being the Messiah. But when the Pharisees heard this, they didn't say, that was awesome. That touches my deep sense of wonder at at, at the compassion of our God, who has a heart for his people. Isn't this fantastic and wonderful? Let's worship him right now and praise him. No. They said, it's only Beelzebul, a Canaanite demon. Oh, it's a demon. No, no, don't be faked out. It's not, a, it's not God's work. That's the demon's work. Really? They're demon, literally, where you see that, you know, don't demonize people, you see it all the time now in all kinds of settings. This is where it comes from. There are demons, and then there's demonizing. It's only Beelzebul, um, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. And Jesus is like, what? How... It doesn't make sense. So which of these describes you? The group after the Sermon on the Mount says, nobody speaks and teaches like this. This is authentic and, and an authentic, genuine authority. Or how entertaining. I need more of this, but I'm busy. i got to go oh, look at time's gone. i got to go do my other really fun stuff. 
Or, you know, naive people do believe these things, but really... And so we, 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 we create that protective shell. Where are you today? Let's start here. Where are you? No. Um, Jesus then moves from talking to God to teaching his disciples in this next section. Verse 27. All things, he says, have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. <clears throat> and no one knows the Father except the Son. Well then, that's a pretty airtight relationship. That only the Son knows the Father and only the Father knows the Son? How can we know anything about God? That's the point. We can't. We think we know so much about God. We do not know anything about God but what he tells us about himself. And you've heard me say, you know, the whole elephant, blind men thing. It's not about that. It's about the elephant saying, by the way, this is my trunk. This is my tusk. This is my, you know, midsection. This is my tail. Do you have a banana? I mean, you know, the, the elephant actually communicates to us and reveals things to us as blind people. See, no one knows a father but the son, and, and, and then to those whom the son chooses to reveal him. This is why you, Jesus is exceptional. This is, not, this is why not all roads lead to heaven, and why you can't believe every spiritual thing as much as it's wonderfully well intended. We are so hungry to know God, even though we want to deny him. We have an approach avoidance issue going on here universally. And so you see people, all of us, want to come up with spiritual things. We want to come up with things that somehow express the innate desire for goodness and order in the universe. And so you have all these beautiful expressions of that. And people get super uptight if you start to look at those critically. Because how offensive, how you're, you're judging that person's spirituality. No, I'm just trying to understand the, the, if, it's, if it's coherent, cohesive, if it really holds truth. So t- somebody tells me spiritual things, and I'm just supposed to accept it, then okay, but is there any criteria or credibility in looking the best sense critically <clears throat> that is asking the questions, not to be obnoxious, but to be discerning and wise? Here you see, wow, only the Father knows the Son, only the Son knows the Father, and to those the Son makes Him known. That's why the white Peter, when he's standing before a group of people in Acts 4.12, he says, uh, there's only one name given to us by which we can be saved. Jesus. It's why Paul, writing in, in Philippians, describing Jesus as Lord above all, though serving, denying His power as God, but being God fully in our presence, acts as a servant to the point that He's crucified and then raised from the dead. And then Paul says this, and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's not an I win, you lose. It's, look, at we all stand shoulder to shoulder going, that's God. And this is what he's telling us about who he is. You could literally stand up from a cultural perspective and say, I am a Muslim and I want to tell you about my relationship with Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. You're saying, this is my culture, this is how I'm raised, this is the food I eat, this is, but Jesus is my Lord. So it's not, oh, you're integrating Allah and Jesus. No. No. I'm saying, I come out, I'm, I'm Irish and English, and I believe in Jesus. Uh, I, you know, the person can say whatever culture they're from, they say, yeah, and I, I'm a follower of Jesus. Oh, did you change your language to English? No, why would I? I'm who I am in Jesus. So this is the profound thing that we see here. It's, just, it's, it's crazy to, at first glance to say, how could this be? You could not say this in any junior high, high school, or college class and get away with it. They'd say, that's outrageous. 
But what we can do is say, well, why is it outrageous? Why, why don't we open it up for scrutiny? Maybe this is a truth-based claim that deserves our attention. Jesus is giving us a bombshell revelation right here. And of course the implication is, and I am the son here to tell you. He's reinforcing his authority. And he's already demonstrated it, right? In teaching and in doing, proclaiming teaching, demonstrating the gospel. So our knowledge is incomplete, our wisdom is self-limiting without God's revelation in Jesus. And Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit to guide us in understanding the truth of God's Word. So in his last meal with his disciples he said, I'll be sending the Holy Spirit. So that's where we get this concept of Trinity. Nowhere in the Bible does it say Trinity. But we start to see references to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. We say, how do we describe this? And so somebody came up with, hey, it's three, Trinity, three and one. And right there we don't understand it because we're thinking, uh, how could three and one be, you know, even when it says in the Shema, um, uh, Shema Israel, um, and it talks about the Lord is one, Echad, it's one whole one. You go, oh wait, there's something here that's not just one singular, it's one, but a full, complete. Wow, how does that work? More questions we don't have time to answer today. So why is it then, if this is true, that we so naturally assume we know enough about ourselves and about God and about others? Because if we're made by God, and God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is a, is a divine relationship that we have no access to except that they invite us into it, and we're created through the, all things are created through the Son, then how do we really understand us? How do I understand you? And you understand me? How do we understand God? It means that we become inherently self-limiting when we say, I know enough. I know enough. Right now, do you know enough about you to know that you're so exceptional you'll never get it right in your faith? That really, at the, at the end of the day, you're, you're a shameful loser? If anybody knew who you really were, you'd say they would laugh at me or avoid me. What's the truth about you? How do you know? We are so self-limiting. This marriage is going nowhere. This kid will never change. If I could do it all over again, I don't know if I'd do it all over again. You know, I mean, whatever it is, all these messages we give ourselves. You see how self-limiting this situation is? So the basis of all of our knowledge comes out of the Son revealing the Father and telling us this is who the Father is and this is who you are. It's no, so it's not that we have some lofty vision about how awesome we are, it's that we have such a t- dinky tiny vision we missed the wonder of who God is and what He wants to do in us. So Paul tells us why in Romans 8-7. We don't have a slide, but I'll read it to you. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. <clears throat> you might be sitting here saying, well, I don't believe in Jesus and I am not hostile to God. Well, this idea of being hostile to God is really being indifferent to God or defiant toward God. It's a, it's a whole spectrum. But it just as I don't need God to understand who I am. I don't need God to understand who you are. I don't even need God to understand who He is. Because I'm all self-referential. Wherever I sit is the head of the table, wherever I stand is the center of the universe. Do you follow this? Uh, about the world we live in, about you and me? Uh, all of us can say, that's me. And so Jesus calls us to learn from Him, to find rest in Him. And this word rest is really the word restoration. A refreshment of who we are. A rehabbing of who we are. And so he says in verses 28 to 30, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Does that fit anybody in this room? Or maybe you know somebody who is weary. Oh, I thought of one person. 
weary and burdened, and I will give you refreshment. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find recreation for your souls. For my yoke is good, better, easy. That's what that word means. We, we translate it as one word, easy, but it really means is, it's good. <clears throat> it's better. It's the best. So much so that it's easy and my burden is light. If you've never thought to do this, um, one of the cheapest ways you can, you can wear perfect clothing is to buy it on sale and take it to a tailor and have it customized to your body. You want to look awesome in your clothes? I should take my own advice. I don't. <clears throat> but if, you really want to, if you're really a fashionista, buy whatever you want at the best price you can and then take it to a tailor and it's worth the money you pay because it will be perfectly fit to you. This is what it means. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. God customizes his yoke, so to speak, so that we don't even notice it's there. Powerful, weary, burdened, alternative, rest, refreshment, recreation, learning, discovery, a perfect fit. So God's gift of salvation is a precious gift of love and grace made available to us by faith. We say it's unconditional, but it, it is. It's unconditional. If you receive it as the gift that it is, it's unconditional. I don't have to do anything else, just receive it. But it is conditional in the sense that if you don't receive it, it's not available to you, right? By <laughs> definition. Hey, why are you hungry? You were just at the buffet. I know, but I didn't have time to eat. I didn't want to eat. I was, I was doing something else. I was answering my phone messages. I was playing you know, a game. My phone, and then they closed the buffet. You're starving now, right? Yeah. You could have eaten. It was unconditionally available to you. It was already paid for. You could have just walked up there and eaten. But you chose not to. So he invites us all to exchange the burden of our false self for the lightness of our true identity. What is our true identity? You are God's beloved. I am God's beloved. Some of you have known this since you could say mama and dada. You've been raised in a Christian family. You know this cold. It's one thing to know it. It's another thing to believe it. Maybe today you're sitting here saying, I believe that. I'm just not feeling that. I believe it. I feel like I've maybe compromised that. I, I, I believe it, but I just, man, I just can't seem to get it back. You're like David saying, Lord, restore the joy to my salvation. We're all in those seasons <clears throat> at some point. So our true identity is that we're God's beloved. What's our true condition? We're imperfect, but we are in process in Christ. Progress now, perfection later. You will be perfected in Christ. Just like at, at Easter, Jesus said, you know, the last thing Jesus said is, it is finished. Tetelestai is the Greek version of it. Tetelestai, it is finished. He had completed his work. Not one human being I know has ever gone to the grave saying, I finished everything I was supposed to do, except Jesus. And at the end of time, when we are made new and whole and complete in Christ, he'll say, Tetelestai, it's finished. Look at you. We can't even imagine what we will look like. C.S. Lewis says, if we could see what we're going to look like when we're fully restored in Christ, we would be tempted to fall on our face and worship that version of ourselves. And that version of ourselves would be going, no, 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 it's me, man. Stand up, it's just me. It's you. It's, well, it's me and you. Well, it's you. And you go, oh, I had no idea it could be this way. So in a relationship with Jesus, we get to learn together how to be and what to do to live into the exceptional thing we are in Christ what we're created for. And so the gospel is a rescue and restoration of our true nature and, a, and our true identity as God's people. 
We can't get it. We can't work on it until we get it. It's given to us and then developed in us by God. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit that invites us into this relationship that we have no access otherwise. It started with Jesus seeking us, and that's the good news of the gospel. It was God's initiative. It continues with us welcoming Him into our life as Savior and Lord and learning from Him how to live the life He's actually giving us. And then it culminates in our total transformation when all things are made new and complete in Christ. So right now, what phase are we in? Well, we're in the phase of learning from Jesus to be who we really are in Him. That's the phase you're in until you die. If you've accepted Christ, you've moved from the phase of who's Jesus. Now you're in the, I know Jesus, uh, but not that well. That's where you're going to be until you die. Now, that's fantastic, but here's how it often sounds in our heads. Lord, where are you? I need your help. Why is this happening to me? I'm not happy. What have I done to deserve this? I'm losing patience. Is life supposed to be this hard? Please fix it or remove it or change the people and circumstances that are bumming me out. Does this sound like you? I'm reading my mail to you. Does it sound like your mail? I'm so tired of trying to be a faithful believer. This is not working like I thought it would. And in your name I pray, amen. That's often the constant prayer that's circling through our head. Some version of that. Here's what it will sound like as we learn to abide in Him and learn from Him. I should even say learn to abide in Him. You don't learn to abide, you just show up. Abiding is just showing up. And then once you show up, you learn. Uh, Miles didn't have to learn to show up to ride a motorcycle. He just showed up and said, whoa, I get to ride that thing? That little electric motorcycle? Yeah. All right. A few tips. Do this, don't do that. You know, if you get hurt, it wasn't my fault. And don't tell your mother I got you on the mic, on the bike. Uh, right? Abiding in Christ is not, well, I've got to learn how to abide. No, you don't have to learn how to abide. Just show up. Show up. Say, Lord, here I am. Help. Best prayer ever. Help. Here I am. So here's what it sounds like as we abide in Him and then learn from Him. Because once we start abiding, we start learning and noticing stuff. <clears throat> it sounds, our life sounds like this. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me and promising never to leave me. I believe it, but I'm not always feeling it. Not sure, but I think the problem might be me. Ooh, a little self-disclosure to God there. I'm so tempted to blame you and everyone around me, Lord. Okay, let's start with me. I want to confess everyone else's sins, but I will start by focusing on my own for now. I want to learn from you and become my truest self and live into my true identity as your child. I confess I confuse my identity as your beloved child with false messages from this world. Specifically, here's what I want to confess, and then we confess. And confess doesn't start with, I'm sorry. Confess just says, this is what I'm bringing to you. Maybe you can say sorry at the end, but it's if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, will forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. First John 1 8 and 9. If we deny that we're sinners, verse 7, we're lying and we're calling God a liar. So confessing is simply saying, Lord, here's where I am. Here's what I'd like to do. Here's what I might do. But confessing is laying it out to him. So specifically, here's what I want to confess, and then thank you for being with me in this. Lord, what do you want to show me regarding my true identity in you? Ooh, we're moving from assumptions to questions. Come learn from me. Okay, I'd like to learn from you. Would you teach me? Help me understand. 
uh, that what you want to show me regarding my true identity in you. As I abide in you, I know you'll teach me your ways. I know it. I can't do it alone or quickly. I abide in you, Lord, through Bible study, worship, prayer, meditation on your word, and community. Father, I'm actually starting to enjoy it more, and I can see ways I'm growing in my faith in you. Lord, please reveal to me my unique gifting so I can serve others in your name most effectively. Please correct me when I wander from you or get distracted by fear, sin, and shame. Thank you for meeting me in my doubts and using them as a bridge to deep or deeper faith and understanding. Lord, I'm learning discernment and wisdom as I walk in your ways. I'm learning to hear your voice. I yield my heart, soul, mind, and strength to you. I love you, Lord. Amen. This is what it can sound like, what it should sound like. Maybe it sounds like that in your head right now. God bless you. Stay with that. If it doesn't sound like that, if it sounds like the former, just switch it up. Start inquiring of the Lord versus demanding. Start inquiring of the Lord versus assuming. Whining and moaning are not spiritual gifts, though I have claimed them many times as my own. Let me finish by saying this. Jesus doesn't give us easy things to do. No duh. Jesus doesn't give us easy things to do. Jesus makes difficult things easier to do because he is with us. He is in us and he is for us. What are the difficult things you're dealing with right now? What are the difficult things you're feeling, you're experiencing, you're confronting, you're being overwhelmed with, you're losing sleep over right now? Then you can't change those, but you can change the way you approach them and experience them. Do them in partnership with Jesus. Because only he will be able to reveal to you what's going on. He might use therapists, he might use physicians, he might use books, music, he might use any number of things to speak to your heart. But it's him that you want to hear from. And so test everything against his word uh, and, stick, and stick with it. If you need to write things down, uh, if you need to, to talk to people in a life group, uh, a trusted friend, a mentor, this is the conversation that changes everything. Because it's you abiding in Christ and learning how to live the life you're meant to live in Him. And I can tell you, it is exceptional. Because He meets us where we are and takes us where we could not go but for Him. That's exceptional. So Lord Jesus, I pray that you'd help us to see how exceptional you are. And that Lord, we could ask you the questions that release uh, understanding and discernment a learning experience in us that we can regain and hold on to wonder, that we can experience the affirmation that comes from your love and acceptance, that we really can discern our true meaning and purpose in life. Lord, I thank you for my brothers and sisters here, heavily burdened and heavily blessed. I pray for each one that where they are, they could either praise you or confess or receive or bless you. I thank you, Lord, that you've called us individually, certainly, but you've called us all together to be your people. Uh, help us to be that, to, to love one another as you are loving us, to forgive one another as you are forgiving us, to care for one another as you care for us. Lord, we thank you and praise you for this radical new way of understanding ourselves and the world in which we live. So we commit ourselves to you in Jesus' high and holy name. Amen.
Well, as we wrap up worship, uh, this is an offering time, and as we say every week, uh, we, we, we welcome your gifts, the financial gifts to help the church uh, be the church, to do the work of the church. Um, but that's not what this offering is. This offering is you, offering you to lo- the Lord. And so let's do that as we hear the music, as we sing, and as we wrap up with a, a benediction, a blessing. Search the world, but it couldn't feel me. Man's empty praise and treasures the faith I never learned. Then you came along and put me back together. And every desire is now satisfied here in your love. Oh, there's nothing better than you. Oh, there's nothing better than you. Oh, there's nothing, nothing
on, sing church. Better than you, oh, there's nothing, yeah. Nothing is better than you, oh, yeah. Oh, there's nothing. true that's the great thing about it you're singing a song that's true you're singing a song that not only praises God but gives a prayer to God you're affirming what God is affirming in you he's the source of your life he's the one who wants you to live life in all its fullness that's his gift and guess what he won't make it easier but it'll be easier for you in him to do the difficult things that this world demands now may the Lord bless you and keep you May the Lord make his face to shine on you, reflecting his glory from you into the world in his name. May the Lord give you everything you need to walk in newness and fullness of life with him, starting right now and forever. Let nothing and no one take away from you that God has given you forever. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. If we can pray for you for anything, go right around the corner to the lovely prayer garden. There'll be people to pray with you. It won't be uncomfortable. It'll be really pretty neat. And then grab something to eat on your, on your way out and have a great rest of the day.